Good. Talk uh, just a, a minute, if you would, and um, tell us what you believe about repentance yeah. and, and faith. I know you kind of went down that alley a little bit, but talk a little bit about repentance and faith and what that means. Would you please? Yeah, I believe uh, repentance and faith are, are solemn obligations. They're, they're inseparable graces. I believe they go hand in hand. Uh, I believe that to repent is to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And when you're turning from your sin and turn to Christ, you're putting your faith in Christ. I believe they go hand in hand. They work uh, simultaneously together. We see in Scripture, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And then we look in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and it says, I tell you, nay, except a man repent, he will likewise perish. Right? And so we see repentance and faith are both required for salvation, but they go hand in hand. Luke chapter 18, verse 13, gives us a picture of this in the publican. It says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so he realized his condition. He turned from his own condition and turned to Christ by faith. And so repentance and faith uh, go hand in hand. Very good. Pastor Mike. Matt, I just want to tell you, you're doing an awesome job. And uh, it's showing that you're a student of the Bible. And so that's, that's awesome. If you could, would you uh, tell us about justification? Yeah, I believe uh, uh, justification uh, is in relation to our standing before God. And it is, uh, again, also it is the pardon of sin and the eternal life that is given. Uh, we see in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A beautiful picture of what it is. Uh, we put our faith in Christ. We now have peace with God. Our sins are forgiven. Right? And that's only in Christ. It's not by any works of righteousness that I have done. Right? And Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, uh, but by his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so it's not in my own works. It's not in my own deed. It's purely in what Christ has done for me. He justifies me. Romans 8, 1 says uh, along the same lines, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so I believe we are justified uh, by Christ. He justifies us. He pardons the sin. He takes care of the sin. Psalm 103, verse 12, this verse blows my mind, but it says, As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our yes. transgressions from us. Yes. I look at my life and see all of my sin and all that baggage that I carry around, and he doesn't, he, it's gone. All right, it's gone. He says in Hebrews ten seventeen, my sins and iniquities he remembers no more. Good. Right, and so we are justified by Christ. All right, this uh, <clears throat> doctrine separates Baptist churches from a lot of churches, and so uh, what do you believe about the church, the offices of a church, baptism, and the Lord's Supper? Yep, uh, I believe the, the Baptist church is made up of baptized believers. Uh, I believe in, in Acts two forty one we see that it says, and they and then and then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so we see they received his word, they were saved, and then they were baptized, and it added them to the church. And so I believe the church is made up of uh, those who have been saved and been baptized. I don't believe the church is a building. I believe it's a tool that God has given us, but the, the church is a body of believers. Uh, it's people. Uh, the church is you and I. And so I believe it is made up of people. I also believe about the, the church uh, that it does have, uh, is, is called to fulfill the two ordinances or carry out the two ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. Uh, I'll get into them in detail here in a minute, but the church is called to carry those out. Um, the church is also has two offices, that of pastor and deacon. Uh, those two offices are spelled out very, very clearly in First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the qualifications, and First Timothy 3, 8 through 13 for the deacon. And I believe if a man doesn't fill the qualifications, I know this is a hot topic today as well, uh, they should not pastor the church. Amen. I believe they should fit that qualification. Uh, we can't change God's word as we talked about a long time ago, and so I take it at full and face value there as well. Uh, so I believe they should fit the qualifications. I believe pastors are appointed. Uh, the Lord is the one who calls. I believe every one of you men are pastoring your church because God called you to that ministry. Uh, Ephesians four eleven says, and he gave some apostles and 
some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So I believe God calls men to lead the church uh, as he leads them. I believe Christ is the head of the church. I believe we are accountable to him as, the head of, as, as he is the head of the church. Uh, we know in uh, Colossians 1.18 it says he is the head of the body, the church. It says he may have the preeminence, right? And so we see he is the, he is the head of the church. Ma- uh, Matthew 16.18, he says, Thou art appearing upon this rock, I will build my church. Revelation 1-3, through he wrote seven letters to the seven churches. We were studying out in Sunday school this morning. And, and he calls them out for some things that they write because it's his church. He can do that. Right? So uh, Christ is the head of the church, uh, and we are accountable uh, to him as a result. Uh, I believe about baptism, Lord's Supper, I believe baptism uh, does not save, as we uh, referenced just a moment ago. Uh, I believe baptism is an ordinance. Uh, it is not a sacrament. I don't believe it infers any grace. I believe it is a command. It is the first step of obedience after salvation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they got saved and they got baptized. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. In other words, see them saved. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So the, the order is laid out. God's a God of order. And he's laid that order out for us. Someone needs to be saved and they need to be baptized. So baptism, I do not believe, saves us. I don't believe there's anything special about the waters in that tank. It's like any other water. But I believe it's that first step of obedience in following uh, our, our walk with Christ. I believe immersion is the method of baptism we see in Scripture. Uh, we look into the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 3, verse 6. It says, and they were uh, in Jordan River baptizing, confessing sins. We see in Matthew three sixteen when Jesus was baptized, it says he came up straightway out of the water, which clearly indicates he had to have been in the water. Uh, we know with Philip and the eunuch, uh, when the, the eunuch wanted to be baptized, he says, what does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe us in our heart, thou mayest, which also had to be saved before you're baptized. And he, he did. And then it says they both went down into the water. And so I believe the method of baptism and what we would do at First Baptist Church is that of full immersion, uh, not sprinkling or any other method. Uh, I don't believe infants and babies should be baptized. The Bible does not speak to that. Uh, we see that someone must be saved and then baptized. And so I don't believe uh, babies or infants. I believe someone needs to understand salvation, be saved before they are baptized. Uh, I believe, again, it is a, is a clear command. I believe it's a picture of what Christ did for us. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and resurrection. It joins us to a church. Uh, uh, and that's what we about baptism. On Lord's Supper, I believe it also is an ordinance, not a sacrament. I don't believe it infers any grace to us. I believe it is a command in which God has, uh, has given the church to carry out. In Acts 2.42, Acts 2.41, they received his word, added to the church. Acts 2.42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread. And speaking there of the Lord's Supper. And we're spelled out clearly in the scriptures what the Lord's Supper should look like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, he says that after he gave thanks, he break it and said, take eat, this is my body, this, uh, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, uh, this cup is a new testament of my blood, this do as often as you, uh, as you do it in remembrance of me. And so we see the bread and the, and the juice being symbolic of the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We do it in remembrance of what he has done for us. I do not believe that the bread becomes the body of Jesus Christ. I do not believe the juice becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not believe that. Uh, but I believe it is done in remembrance of those things. I believe we do it in anticipation of his return. I believe solemn self-examination should be done prior to partaking the Lord's Supper. The altar should be opened and people should do, uh, deal with the Lord and how they need to uh, before partaking the Lord's Supper. I don't believe that the Lord's Supper uh, is instructed in the scriptures of how often to do it. But I believe it should be important. And so I think by doing it every week, it can lose its importance. Uh, one thing Pastor Ryan has uh, indwelled in us is we do it quarterly here, which keeps it uh, important. And I think that's good. And that's, that's what we would do at First Baptist Church as well. So I don't think God is concerned about how many times we do it. But he's way more concerned with how we do it. Very and good. I think we need to do it in the way in which he's prescribed in Scripture. Very good. Yeah. Anything to ask? I know. I'm sorry. I believe it should be obviously in the church, which churches may have to save baptized. So I believe members of the church should partake in the, in the Lord's Supper. Good. Get you a drink of water. We're about halfway here. He's marking them off one after another.
So next up, we've got uh, Pastor Josh. Proud of you, Matt. And uh, one thing you'll find is is Matt's not quoting uh, a lot of different people. He's quoting God. Yes. And uh, what's, that's one thing we train guys to do. And I'm, I'm honored to be here tonight and uh, blessed. I just have three simple questions. Um, <laughs> I knew it'd be him. Uh, he asked about superlapsarianism. I was wanting to know about the eschatological implications of the hypostatic union. That would be one. Second, who was Cain's wife? And thirdly, did Adam have a belly button? Whatever order you want to go in. Marvin Shaw put you up to that? <laughs> start with the belly button. I yeah, with the belly button. <laughs> These are things I've always wanted to know. So. Hey, we get to heaven, we'll find out. <laughs> so, you know, great things. Uh, tonight, uh, just a couple questions. Yeah. Um, Eternal security, perseverance of the saints, if you could speak to that. Sure. I believe such as uh, who are genuinely born again will persevere until the end. I don't believe we persevere to be saved. I believe because we are saved, we will persevere. Yes. Uh, John chapter 8, verse uh, 31, 32, it says, uh, uh, Then said Jesus unto, uh, unto those Jews that believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. He says, If you are my disciples, you will continue. And so I believe those who are born again will continue. They will persevere uh, until the end. We see in Philippians 1, 6, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If we could lose our salvation, there could possibly be some condemnation, right? So it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We see also in John chapter 10, verse 28, he says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. And so we see in Christ, uh, I believe we are eternally secure. I believe we can know of that as well. In first uh, John five, verse 13, he says, these things write unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So I believe we can be confident in that, and it's not confident in self. It's completely confident in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Good. I believe one who is genuinely saved will persevere until the end. Good. Gentlemen? Go ahead, Brother Josh. Next question is uh, your position on the doctrine of the righteous and the wicked. Yeah. I believe there's a, a clear distinction between the two. Uh, I believe speaking of the righteous would be the one who is in Christ. The wicked is the one uh, who is not in Christ. I believe the Bible makes clear there is a distinction. Malachi chapter 3 verse 18 says, Then you shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between them that serveth God and them that serveth him not. A clear distinction. Some serve, some don't. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14 talks about the two different gates and the two different uh, ways. Uh, there's only two. All right? There's those who are on the, the wide and the broad. There's those who are on the straight and the narrow. Only two classifications. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. And so I believe there's a clear distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not. I believe those who are in Christ are uh, uh, promised heaven one day. Uh, we see that's their eternal destination. The eternal destinations for the righteous and the wicked are also dramatically different. Uh, I believe the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes. I think we, uh, death, where is thy sting? Amen. And so I believe yeah. the very moment we know Christ our Lord and Savior, we know of our eternal destination. It is secure and it is secure in Christ as we just referenced on the perseverance of the saints. And so I believe the one who is righteous is in Christ and they are secure in that uh, for all eternity and heaven uh, is, awaits them. I believe for the wicked, quite the opposite. Uh, I believe the wicked obviously is in the, the path to destruction as the Bible speaks of. Uh, I believe uh, for the uh, for the wicked, obviously, the end uh, is destruction, as it says there in, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 14. I believe hell is obviously a topic that people don't like to discuss today. Uh, people have no problem discussing heaven, uh, but yet we struggle to talk about hell. But if we believe there's a heaven, we must also believe there's a hell. Yeah. Uh, hell was created. The Bible makes that very clear for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41, he says, Then we say to them on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so we know that hell was created for the devil and his angels. However, I do believe that any person who dies in their 
their sins will go to hell. I believe hell is a very real place, a place of eternal suffering and torment where there is no rest. The worm dieth not. Uh, and, uh, and the Bible makes that clear. We see that uh, with Satan in Revelation 20.10. It says the devil of the sea will be cast in the lake of fire. Uh, and it says, uh, it says he will be there forever and ever. Uh, so it is a place that's eternal. We know the rich man in Luke chapter 16, Luke 16.22, he died. Verse 23, it says, and in hell lift up his eyes, being in torments. And so I believe hell is a literal place. I don't think it's an imaginary place, a state of mind. Uh, I don't believe any of that. I believe it is a literal place. So I believe there's a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous are in Christ. The wicked are not. They're on two different paths, one to destruction, one to life. On that topic, uh, do you believe God foreordains who's going to be righteous and who's going to be wicked? Does he sentence some to heaven and some to hell? Does God do that, or does he give man freedom? Sure. Uh, he does give uh, freedom, and, and, and here momentarily we'll get into detail on it, but I believe the only thing that prevents someone from being saved is their voluntary rejection of the gospel. Um, I believe that anyone can be saved, uh, but not all will be saved. John 5, 4, verse 40 says, And you will not come to me that you might have life. Right? And so I believe anybody can be saved, but not all will. I do not believe we have a God in heaven that, that selects some to be saved and some to go to hell. I don't believe that's the God we have. That's a good clarification, Brother Josh. Thank you for asking that. You may have said this along the way, but <clears throat> uh, if you did, I, I missed it. W- once someone dies without Christ and, and goes to hell, is there any way out? No. It is eternal. Uh, it is a, we see that with, uh, with Satan himself. It says forever and ever. So it is an eternal destination. Just as heaven is eternal, hell is also eternal. Good. Is there a holding place? Is there any in-between? No. Good. Very good. All right, Pastor Nate. Man. Hi, Nate. <laughs> Doing a great job, man. And I uh, love you guys. First Baptist getting the great man of God. And uh, uh, we've spent many hours talking about doctrine and, and ministry. And uh, this has come up a few times. It's an easy one. Uh, no controversy. Uh, tell us what you believe about civil government. Sure. <laughs> I believe civil government is ordained by God. Uh, I believe the Bible uh, speaks to that. We know in Genesis 9, he established government. I believe government is good. That is given to us for law and order. God is the God of order. First uh, Corinthians fourteen forty says, let all things be done decently and in order. So I believe God is a God of order. Uh, I believe government is good because it rewards those who do well and it punishes those who, who do not. Uh, and I believe that is a good thing. I believe if we did not have government, then chaos would reign. Uh, if we didn't have law enforcement, we didn't have police, we didn't have government officials, then this would be a life of chaos, and, and we wouldn't want that. Uh, so God established that. I believe it is good. I believe we are called to honor and respect those who are in authority. It says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're called to do to honor the king. Romans uh, 13, verse 7 tells us the, the various thing. He says, uh, render tribute unto those who is due, uh, tribute to whom tribute, custom whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to honor, uh, whom, uh, honor to whom honor. And so we're called to honor those who are in authority. We're called to pray for them as well. Uh, and so I believe as the, the laws of the land, as they come down, as long as they don't violate the word of God, we should be the model citizens as Christians and, and, and obey the law. Uh, I believe the law is good and is given to us for our good. I believe we need to pray more for our officials as well. Uh, so we need to be praying for those in, in line. I believe that if there are laws that do come down that violate the scriptures, in those situations we are to honor God above the law. And we see that in, uh, in the scriptures in Acts chapter 5, uh, when the, the apostles were told not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts five twenty nine, it says, Then said Peter and the apostles, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yes. All right? And so when the law comes down that does violate the word of God, then we side with God. Reason being, we're called to fear God above man. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And fear not him which can uh, kill the body, uh, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear him which can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so we need to have a greater fear of God than we do man. Uh, we should fear God above all else. And so as long as the laws 
align with the word of God. I believe we should honor them. We should respect them. We should pray for our officials. Laws were to come down that violated that. Uh, then we are to honor God. I also believe that there's a distinction between, I probably should have mentioned this on the church, uh, but, but a separation between church and state. Uh, I don't believe the state should uh, come in here and tell us what can be uh, preached and taught from the script from the pulpit. I believe we have the we can preach the full counsel of the word of God and should. Nor do I believe I need to get involved in politics. God didn't call me to politics, and so I believe there's a clear distinction in that Matthew twenty two twenty one says, "Render unto Caesar's the thing that are Caesar's; render to God the things that are God's." And so they can worry about Caesar. I'll worry about God. We'll keep it separate. Good. Go ahead, brother Nate. It's good. Uh, I can't speak for the rest of the panel, but I think I had three or four months to prepare for my ordination. And uh, I think Brother Matt had about a month. And uh, so what he's telling you here tonight is he's not just repeating a bunch of information, but he's telling you what he truly believes. And uh, so, Brother Matt, tell us what you believe about the grace of giving. Sure. I believe grace, uh, giving is one of the uh, fundamentals of the, of, the, of the faith. I believe giving is scriptural and biblical. Uh, we see in, Matt, or in uh, Leviticus 27.30, it says the tithe is the Lord's. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says bring the tithe into the storehouse or maybe meet in my house and prove me here, saith the Lord of hosts. And so I believe we're called to give the tithe. I believe a tithe is, is scripturally as a tenth. And so I believe uh, that everyone should give a tenth of, of, of what, they, uh, what comes in uh, to the church. I believe it says to bring it into the storehouse. Uh, and so I believe the tithe is a biblical giving. Uh, I believe anything above that is, should be led by the Lord. Uh, we know in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, the apostles, as God laid on their hearts, it said they sold all they had and laid the, the funds at the apostles' feet. And if God lays that on your heart, then you need to be obedient to what God calls you to do. Uh, but anything above that tithe is between you and God and as God directs. I believe those things can be for missions or for building funds or from you know, other, other things. And so you follow the Lord's leading in, in that giving. Uh, I believe that the, the tithe clearly is commanded in Scripture. Um, I believe that we're called as Christians to be good stewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of a man, uh, of a steward, excuse me, that he be found faithful. And so I believe in all areas of life we should be found faithful, and in our finances we should be too. And I believe that uh, I've heard people say before, I can't afford to tithe, and quite frankly, I think we can't afford not to. Uh, I believe that we should follow the scriptural uh, uh, pattern for giving as it's laid out. I believe the people of God should fund the work of God. Uh, I don't believe we need to go outside and seek money from lost people to do the work of God. I believe that the people of God would follow the word of God and give as God prescribed, we would be just fine. Good. All right. And uh, one more here, Brother Matt, one that's close to your heart. Would you tell us what you believe the Bible teaches about missions? Sure. I believe missions is a clear command in Scripture. Uh, I believe every Christian uh, is a missionary. Uh, I believe we are called to, to go. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. And we're told in Acts 1, 8, it says, But you shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and under the outermost part of the earth. And so the, the call to go is very clear in Scripture. Uh, we are called to go. We have been entrusted with the gospel. And God has asked of us and commanded of us to go. And we're called to take the gospel and to spread it. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans ten fourteen says, How will they hear without a preacher? And so we have to go. And so we're commanded to take the gospel and to spread it throughout this world. Mark sixteen fifteen says, Go ye there, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, John 20, verse 24 says, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And so the command is clear. I believe the church has been given the mission and the great commission. Uh, and I believe we should fulfill that. We should start where we are. I believe the light that shines the brightest at home shines the furthest. 
Good. So I believe our mission field is everywhere we are. Our, the place we shop is a mission field. The place we go to school is a mission field. Uh, the place we work is a mission field. Everywhere is a mission field. Good. Everyone needs Christ. The righteous and the, wick, the wicked need Christ. Amen. So uh, everyone needs the gospel. And so everywhere we go is a mission field. And we're commanded to take the gospel and to share it. So I believe missions is a very clear command uh, in the Bible. I believe it should begin here, spread regionally, and then go globally. And I believe we're called to do that. Very good. Okay, is everybody good on that so far? And then there was one. Oh, no. Pastor Ryan, you've done a great job here, Paul, with (laughs) Timothy. Praise the Lord. Wonderful job training this this young man. uh, You really make this easy. And then you're encouraging to to hear the word of God come through your heart and and out your mouth. And I'm so grateful for that. Brother Ryan, we've got just a couple here left. A couple left. You've done a great job, brother. Didn't know how... How uh, prepared you'd be with a month ago, but uh, but you've knocked it out of the park, so great job. Freeness of salvation, tell us what you believe. Yeah, I believe uh, salvation is made free to all. Uh, I believe that the only thing that prevents someone from getting saved is simply rejecting uh, the gospel, uh, you know, denying the Lord. Uh, the Bible makes this uh, clear in Romans ten thirteen. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word whosoever we see uh, throughout scripture. John three sixteen. one of the most uh, popular, most famous verses in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Again, you see the word whosoever. Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, uh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says all. So we see those words over and over again. Whosoever, all. And so I believe anyone can be saved. I believe the only thing that prevents someone from getting saved is just rejection of the Lord and rejection of the gospel. John five forty, I mentioned earlier, it says, And you will not come to me that you might have life. Acts chapter 751, uh, Stephen is preaching and he's lighting up the Jews in that, in that passage and he's, he's getting them good. And he says in Acts 751, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And so we see the Holy Ghost can be resisted. All right? So I believe the gospel is made open and available to all people. I believe God has a heart that all would be saved. I don't believe all will be saved because some will reject. Uh, but we do know God wants all to be saved. He said in 1 Kings eight sixty that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. He wants all the people to know that. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, who will have all men uh, to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men can slackness, but is long suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so I think the scriptures are very clear. Salvation is free and available to all people. It doesn't matter our, our background, our gender, our economic status, social status. I believe anybody can be saved. I believe the only thing that prevents someone from being saved is rejecting the gospel and not coming to Christ. What would you say to someone here tonight that doesn't know Christ? You get saved. I would, I would share with them the, the truth of the gospel. Uh, I, would, uh, I would share the, the need of salvation. The, the reason that I got saved was I realized who I was. I think when we understand our sin, we understand who we are. As the publican said, he wouldn't even so much look up into heaven, but smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Once we realize we are lost, it makes it real easy to get saved. So we have to understand our lost condition. I believe we must understand who we truly are in Christ. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 8, 4, it says, who is, uh, what is man that God is mindful of us? When we realize who we are, our sinful nature, and, and, and how wicked we are, but yet God loved us so much. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God commanded his love towards us. And while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to that cross to be the atonement, the payment, to justify us, to, to, to give us new life and life everlasting. And so I think once someone understands their lost condition, understands who they are, their vile, wicked, sinful nature that we all have, it's real easy to get saved. It's good. I don't see another choice. And the last one there is the eschatology. Tell us about end times, future events. 
Yep. Uh, I believe that today we're in what's called the uh, the age of grace or the church age. Uh, I believe today, whosoever shall come, let him come. Uh, I believe today is the age of age of grace. I believe uh, uh, the next event to unfold in the in the end time events is that of the rapture. Uh, and I believe uh, there is nothing left to be fulfilled for that to happen. It's what's called imminent, meaning uh, it could happen any time. He could come back today if he so desired or 10,000 years from now. That's, that's his uh, timetable, not mine. And so I believe he could come back at any given time. Matthew 24, 42 tells us we don't know. He says, watch ye therefore, for we know not what hour your Lord doth come. And so he could come back at any given time. I don't know when. And that's why we need to be busy with missions and, and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ so people may be saved. And so we do not know when his return is coming, but we do know he is coming. The Bible makes clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. And so we see he's going to come into the clouds and call the church home. And that's what we know is the rapture. The word rapture itself isn't used in the scripture, but we see that uh, that being caught away in the scripture. Uh, and so we see the rapture is the next event to unfold. Not the rapture that will kick off, what we know is a seven-year tribulation when God's judgment will be poured out upon an unbelieving people and upon the nation of Israel. I believe during that time, believers will be in heaven. We will be at the judgment seat of Christ being judged uh, for our works, not for our sins. Our sins were judged upon the cross. Mm-hmm. We'll be saved even so as by fire, the Bible says. And so I believe we'll be judged for our works and what we've done with the wonderful gospel we've been entrusted. Uh, and I believe that at the end of that seven-year tribulation, after God's wrath is poured out and that time is complete, that is the second coming of Christ. Now, the rapture is not to be confused with the second coming. At the end of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, where Christ will descend uh, with his church, uh, he will come back and step foot upon this earth. There will be a battle known as the battle of Armageddon, uh, in which Satan will be bound uh, for a thousand years. The beast and the false prophet will be destroyed, uh, and, and God will set up, Jesus will set up his millennial or his thousand year reign. Uh, and that will be here on earth with us. And, and only those who believe will be part of that. Uh, that will be a time of peace, of prosperity. Righteousness will reign. At the end of that thousand-year tribulation, uh, Satan will be loosed for one final battle, the battle of Gog and Magog, in which he, uh, as we know, he loses uh, dramatically. Uh, Revelation 20.10 says, For the devil that deceives was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are on, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The powers of darkness will ultimately be defeated at the end of that uh, millennial reign, at the battle of Gog and Magog. He'll be defeated for all eternity. Uh, we will have the great white throne of judgment, in which all unbelievers will be judged. Revelation 20.15 says, For whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. And so we see that there will be a time of judgment. Jesus is the judge of all judgments. All judgment has been committed to the Son. And so he will be on those judgment seats. Uh, and after that great white throne of judgment, the destruction of the old heaven and the earth, creation of new heaven and new earth, and eternity with God from there. Revelation 21.4 says it's going to be a beautiful time. He'll wipe away all our tears from our eyes. There'll be no yes. more sorrow, no more pain, yep. no more suffering. All those things will be passed away. So I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, any questions concerning the end time events? Great job, Brother Matt. If you bear with us for just a moment here as the council, we want to kind of put our hearts and our minds together and make sure that no one has any hesitations or anything to, to add or, or ask or cross-reference here. With Brother Matt. So if you just bear with us for just one moment, okay? On behalf of uh, the Ordination Council this evening, uh, for Brother Matt Stallings, it is our recommendation, uh, Brother Ryan, to you and to your church here, that this man be ordained for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen?
Did a great job tonight in a couple things. One, uh, the council recommends to us uh, their decision, um, but the church is the one that ultimately authorizes and sends Brother Matt out. And so tonight it's important that the church would be the ones who authorize and make that decision uh, and affirm that. And so tonight I need to uh, make a vote uh, amongst the membership of Lighthouse Baptist Church of Chillicothe. And so no offense to our guests, but this is a local church uh, decision. And so if you're a member of the of Lighthouse Baptist Church of Chillicothe, I need a first, second, and third motion, then we'll, we will vote. Tom Black, is there a uh, lawyer? Are you here to write this down? She might be somewhere. Okay, she's in the back. Uh, so Tom Black, secondly, uh, Deb Turvey. And then uh, Gene Comer uh, makes a third. Uh, all the members of Lighthouse Baptist Church in uh, favor of that decision, would you raise your hand? All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers everybody. <laughs> I don't think there's a, enough to counter that. And so with that said, uh, our church authorizes the ordination of Pastor Matt Songs. Let's give the Lord a hand, Brother Matt, and his family a hand. Amen. this time we like to have the prayer what the bible speaks about the prayer of the presbytery the laying on the hands of the the ministers and so we're going to have these men on the, the platform brother matthew we just want to come and kind of kneel here uh, we'll come lay our hands upon him and just pray over him and so if you would uh, just join us in prayer tonight we just want to pray god's blessing his unction his anointing to be upon brother matt not just from this moment but continuing on for as many years god will permit him in the ministry and so we'll just take turns we'll go around the room and uh, then i can close this in prayer brother nathan you want to pray and then the rest of you guys will just work away around and, and i can close in prayer uh, lord i i thank you god for your uh, testimony through my uh, my brother and my friend tonight and uh, my heart is overjoyed um, at what you've done in his life and as well in the life of his family. I pray, God, that you would protect him. Uh, Lord, keep him holy, keep him pure. And, Lord, I pray that his focus would be on you above all other things, Lord. At the end of his life, he'll be able to look back and, and see a, a life lived for you and, and in service to you and, and to hear those blessed words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray for Lisa as well. Lord, I'll be with her heart. There's three wonderful children, Maddie, Allie, and Moses. We thank you, God, for what you've done in their life. And uh, it's been an absolute blessing to be a part of, Lord. Continue to use him uh, to know you and to make you known. As we continue in prayer, God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would just be in control of Matt and Lisa's life. Lord, thank you so much for his uh, faith, Lord, and faithfulness. God, and you have shown yourself fruitful through his life. I pray that his preaching would always be scripture-centered, that he would be faithful to the word of God, that, Lord, every day that he would he would look upon you and, and uh, that you would guide his steps as he trusts in you and his challenges and, and difficulties come. God, that you would uphold him with your right hand. Thank you so much for tonight, and uh, Lord, we look forward to a fruitful ministry there in Ashland, and God, we know that you're going to do great things, and so I pray you would open up the floodgates of heaven, pour out a blessing. God, I pray for revival uh, to stir, and we all need revival, and I pray that revival would stir in that precious church, and, and just they would see a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God upon that city, and that you would just continue to use him. Lord, I pray that there would be preachers and missionaries that would rise up in that church that they would send out, and, and uh, just bless God. We look forward to what you're going to do in the great reports in the future. In Jesus' name. Father, in a 
very short time, Matt is going to discover there is a big difference between being an associate pastor and being a pastor. So I pray that you would fortify him and strengthen him, give him courage and compassion, give him clarity of thought and the ability to be able to reach his people. I pray that you'd be with his family and let them have as satisfying a time at First Baptist Church as I have had for 27 years. And I pray that you would let Matt realize he has got people depending upon him. He's got missionaries depending upon him. And Lord, we know you don't need anything, but you depend on him too. I pray that you might give him everything he needs. In Jesus' name. Father, we are thankful for what Brother Matt has displayed here tonight. Lord, not just his biblical knowledge, but the truth of what he believes. And that we know that it's settled in his heart that you are the Lord and Savior, and that your word is true, and that it is the sword, Lord. That it is that sword, the word of God, that he will depend on as the pastor of First Baptist Church. And so, Father, I pray that he would always have his nose in the book, and that he would be studying your word and growing even more in it, and that he would preach out of it the things that bring eternal life to all those around him. Father, I have great confidence personally in Brother Matt and Sister Lisa and their family and the calling that you put on their life, but Father, this is a continuation of the faithfulness he's already shown in ministry. And so now we just ask that you would give us a special grace, and it is a special thing to be a pastor of a church and to lead people, to be your chosen vessel for that place. And so he's going to need strength. He's going to need your hedge surrounding him and his family. He's going to need your wisdom. He is going to need every single ounce, Lord, of you in him. But we know it's already there in the Holy Spirit. So, Father, let the Spirit lead him. Let him walk by faith and not by sight. Let him follow that voice of truth each day. And Father, we know that the road sometimes can be rough, but the road is so worth it. Let him enjoy the journey as well, Father. And Father, we're thankful for him and what you've done here tonight. Thankful for the ears that have heard these truths tonight. And God, we bless you for it. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you for Brother Matt. We thank you, Lord, for uh, Lord, those who have invested in his life. Faithful men and women who committed things to him that he can now commit to others. Lord, I do pray that you'd, uh, Lord, help him to grow in you day by day. We thank you for his dear family. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, uh, Lord, that we're still on the winning side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, uh, what we've heard tonight and how it's encouraged our hearts. Lord, as he preaches these truths and, and others from the pulpit there in, in Ashland, God, I pray the Spirit of God would be in every service. And we want to thank you now for souls that will walk the aisle. We want to thank you now for families that are going to be helped. We want to thank you right now for uh, other men and women who will be called to the ministry, Lord, through what you're going to do through Brother Matt and his family there. Lord, we just thank you for loving us. Help us to be more like you. And Lord, we just thank you for this night. It's been a privilege just to be here. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Dear Lord, as we continue in prayer, I just thank you for Matt and Lisa and uh, Lord... Uh, Lord, uh, he can't do it without you. 
And Lord, he needs your help. Lord, you said you've chosen the weak to confound the wise. Lord, uh, as John the Baptist said, uh, he decrease and you increase. And Lord, we're just asking that you would use Matt in a great way. Lord, that you would uh, uh, help him to uh, follow you. And Lord, uh, in the end of his life, that he would give you all the glory. Because Lord, uh, truly, uh, you are the one who uh, gave him this ability to, <clears throat> to speak tonight. You gave him the power to study, to learn. And Lord, uh, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, uh, that in his ministry, Lord, uh, just that uh, you would be glorified in uh, whatever you choose. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I echo those uh, thoughts tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for showing up tonight. This was not about a man. Uh, this was not a performance. This was a service of praise. And Lord, you've changed a You've changed a heart. You've changed an eternity in this man, and you're using him, Lord, as a bright light. He and his wife. And Lord, I pray that they would always keep their eyes fixed upon you. Lord, when people let them down, when life lets them down, that they'll always turn back to you and, and follow you faithfully as a disciple of Christ. Lord, I lift him up to you tonight, and I thank you for his testimony and his growth in Jesus' name. Dear Lord, as we just continue and, uh, and close out here in prayer, we just want to affirm everything that we've already said. We thank you for the faithfulness that, that to Brother Matt and Lisa and Madison and Allie and Moses have, have demonstrated. Lord, here over the last decade, Lord, you've only uh, done a work in their life and has only continued and been evident tonight. We pray that that would just continue uh, for however long, Lord, you would have them there in Ashland. Lord, we pray and trust that, Lord, until... He breathes his last, Lord, that you will allow him to faithfully serve the people of First Baptist Church in Ashland. And only you would know the heights and the width and the depths and the, and the lengths of that ministry. And we pray, Lord, uh, for our heads of protection about them and their family and that ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would bring people into their lives that would just be like Aaron and her, that would hold up their arms and that would serve faithfully and would see the heart of this man and his wife and their family and come alongside of them just to, just to be a blessing and to help reach that city and that county and this world. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could have each of you men sign the ordination certificate. Brother Gabe Peacher come, and after we sign this, he's got a special song for us, and then we got a, a short charge to, to Brother Matt before we conclude our service here tonight.
heaven beating. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. In the hush of mercy breathing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Hear the hosts of angels sing, glory to Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and the wisest bow before him. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, see the sky alive with grace, melting darkness in its place. There is life forever. He will win our sorrow sharing. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He will die our burden bearing. Jesus saves.
Amen. It's been a real blessing to be a part of the service tonight. And um, if you could have, find your Bibles, Titus chapter 1, verse number 1. You'd stand with me uh, tonight to honor God's Word. Appreciate, uh, appreciate all of you being here. I know you've got a lot of sermon already. <laughs> you've got more doctrine in the last hour and 40 minutes than some churches have probably gotten a decade. And so uh, you, you have really been uh, taught tonight well. And so my, my goal is not to enhance that further uh, other than to uh, emphasize the, the point at hand, and that is to charge uh, Brother Matt Stallings uh, to the gospel ministry and to charge him publicly. And, uh, you know, they say you should never preach at or toward a certain person. That's a lie because that's what I'm about to do. And so, uh, you see, when you enter into the gospel ministry, uh, it is without repentance. When God calls you, he calls you for life. Uh, you don't need to leave it for any other position, for any other pay, for anything else. God calls you to a ministry. You must perform that, perform that faithfully, perform that well. There's no other higher calling in all the land than what Brother Matt has now been called into. So tonight we read in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to verse number 5. It says, Paul, the servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And all of God's people said... Amen. You may be seated tonight. I want to preach a sermon tonight to Brother Matt Stallings. Um, God brought this man into my life at a, at a very important time. God had to use us to, to, to be a part of starting this ministry. My wife and I, our two oldest kids at that time were still toddlers, Brother Josh and Candace, and another couple. There was eight of us when we started. started in August of 2003. We were here uh, faithfully serving. Brother Josh Candace just graduated from college, came back, were with us for almost six years. And then God called them to plant a church. And so when he left... Not only did he leave as an assistant pastor, not only as someone who had helped us start the church, but he was also my, my, my physical brother. And so we grew up together. Uh, we shared a bedroom together. Uh, he lived in my home here for a time, and when God called them away, it was uh, left to kind of a void. And there were definitely those around to, to, to fill that uh, in part. But uh, I really pray that God would continue to raise up labors and leaders and, and do time. And I, I just want to affirm something tonight. If you can't listen to the testimony of what you've heard tonight and see the sovereign hand of God in this, you are blind because God has his hand all over this work. How in the world someone born in West Virginia, saved in Kentucky, can end up in Chillicothe, Ohio, (laughs) called to the gospel ministry? I have no idea. But at the perfect timing, amen, when they left, God brought them here. They left in the, the late uh, 2009. God had brought them here through his perfect plan to be a manager of the Sam's Club. Who knew how God could use Sam's Club, amen? But God brought them here. And I'll never forget, I'll do the first Sunday that Lisa uh, came. And then the second Sunday, uh, Lisa and Matt uh, came. And they begin to come ever since. And for the last uh, uh, roughly 10 years, they've been here faithfully serving. And so I just want to commend uh, Brother Matt, uh, Lisa, Madison, uh, Ali and Moses and uh, how God has worked in their lives have been faithful. I've got nothing negative to say about them. I've got a lot of other staff. I probably do have some negative things to say about them. 
No, not really. I don't. I don't know about them either. But but Brother Matt has, has been nothing but faithful, been nothing but stellar, and I can't uh, point you to a better example of how if you want to go from someone who is saved, not really serious about things of God, to being where he's at tonight, to hearing, follow that example. Follow that example of what you've seen in their lives tonight. So tonight I just want to charge you, Brother Matt, it's not that I have any question about these things. It's not that anything in the last 10 years would lead me to think that you wouldn't be this. But I do this in part to be a witness and to do this in the presence of our church body who is sending you out, to do this in the presence of the church body that is receiving you in the presence of a sister church as well, that we just want to affirm everything you stated tonight in your doctrinal statements and your beliefs and your convictions, that you would only continue in this and that you would not veer off course. You would not become something other than what you have presented yourself to be tonight. So tonight we find in Titus, Paul, as the aged pastor, uh, training up the younger Titus, one of his uh, students and sons in the faith, and we find tonight about the call to be a man of God. And so I just want to kind of follow through this. I'm going to kind of read it just to stay on my, my notes here so I don't keep any longer than what we need to be. But to be a man of God, to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to be faithful in these following things. Number one, be faithful to your calling. You have a stewardship that God has deposited to you. This is a stewardship trust. God has made a sacred deposit into your life and into your soul. He's given you a commission. You have been charged. You have been commissioned. Make sure you're calling. Be faithful in your calling. Why? Because we live in a day of compromise, a day of accommodation. They say there was a time when people went to church heard the truth, and wept over their sins. Today, people go to church, hear motivational speech, and ignore their sins. In a day of dry eyes, barren altars, and rotted baptistries, in a day where man esteems himself high and brings God low, in a day when the true gospel is replaced for a false, in a day where most refuse to confront the sin of unbelievers and indulgent professors, in a day where toleration reigns supreme, when the majority refuse to hear the truth, where ears are tickled, Christians are entertained and comforted in their carnal lifestyles, where the church house looks like a theater, a Saturday night bar scene, where the consumer inside is pacified and Christ is expelled, and a day where grace is a synonym for licensing sin, where life coaches use worldly attractions to build crowds and reform men, all the while very few are genuinely regenerated because the true gospel of rebuking sin, repenting of sin, calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ, dying to self, taking up our cross daily, and following Christ are not heard. Where apostasy is preached from the pulpits, where apathy reigns in the pews, where appeasement, accommodation, entertainment all rule the day, where Baptist no longer means what it used to mean, where most live to never create an issue with anyone, and all men speak well of them, and yet so did their fathers to the false prophets before them. In a day where the church is no longer for the, known for the distinction from the world, but rather likeness to the world. And against this backdrop, I commission you to be faithful. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to His Word and trust Him to faithfully build His church. Be faithful to pray over the flock that God has called you to. Be faithful to pray without ceasing over them. To pray relentlessly. To be the pastor that God calls you to be, which requires you to be patient and loving, knowing they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. She must be led and not driven. Be faithful to your call as a pastor, as a shepherd, shepherding those sheep. Those sheep many times will not understand why you do what you do. They'll have parasites that will cause them to be sick and weakly and even lead to untimely deaths. And there's times where you've got to flee and cleanse them of those parasites. And for all those times that they look at you in disbelief and understand, don't understand at all why you're doing and preaching and teaching as you are, just know it's for the greater good. As a bishop, oversee the congregation. 
set in order as Paul commissioned Timothy as an elder who's spiritually mature, follow Christ and lead the sheep to do the same. And so I say, number one, be faithful to your calling as a pastor, a bishop and an elder. Number two, be faithful as a preacher and teacher. You're called and charged to be a preacher, to proclaim God's word, to declare, thus saith the Lord, to preach the full counsel of God's word and do so with authority. You're called to be a teacher, to instruct according to God's word. Preach the word, preach the gospel, which brings eternal life. Read the word, explain the word, apply the word, repeat. Be careful not to give in to gimmickry. Be careful not to use carnal means that will work on carnal men. Our work is not a carnal work, but it's a spiritual work. A synthetic gospel will reform men. The authentic gospel will regenerate men. Don't give in to all the appeals of the wood, hay, and stubble to draw crowds of people. Give yourself to the faithful and diligent work of the ministry of the word of the gold, silver, and precious stones. And remember, Brother Matt, your power source is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 tells us it's the dynamite. Paul commissioned Timothy much with the same words as he commissions uh, Paul, uh, T- uh, Timothy here, uh, Titus here in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Hold fast that faithful word, Brother Matt. Why? Because Titus 1 verse 9 and on tells us that we need to hold fast to the faithful word. Why? Because verse 10 to 16 says there are many unruly and vain talkers whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses and teach for filthy lucre's sakes those things that they ought not teach. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Uphold the truths of God's word. Adrian Rogers said it well. It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals and falsehood that comforts and then kills. It is not love and it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of God. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was a power for God, who did not have enemies and was not hated. It's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. It is better to ultimately succeed with truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. I say to you, Brother Matt, to preach to preach on, to be faithful to your calling. Be faithful to your calling as a pastor, bishop, elder, preacher, teacher. Number three, be faithful to your family. Titus 1 verse 6 tells about the qualifications of a bishop, of an elder, of a pastor. He must be the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Be faithful to your family. Never forget your responsibility as a husband and as a father. Do not forget them. You will disqualify yourself quicker in ministry than anything in that regard. While you're ministering and discipling other families, be sure to maintain the priority of your own. You must guard your family, love them, lead them, involve them. Number four, be faithful to maintain purity. Titus 1, 6 and 7 says that we should be blameless. Uh, verse 7 again, the bishop must be blameless and it lists out further things. But maintain purity, maintain the life of blameless uh, from the outside. Uh, beware of that which can lead you astray, pride, uh, people, possessions, pursuits, and make sure that you maintain the inter- uh, integrity and purity of your eyes, your heart, and of your mind. I love what Job said. He said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Don't let people, pride, possessions, or anything draw you away. Maintain your purity. 
Number five, be faithful as a servant. Paul says in verse number one that he was Paul and he didn't have some grand title. It was simply Paul, a servant of God. Never forget that you are a doulos, a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. His desire is your duty. You are his bondservant. You have no rights of your own. You belong to him. He bought you with a price. Luke 17.10 says, when you fulfill your duty, so likewise you, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Be faithful as a servant. Do not be ashamed of Christ and the gospel of those who have gone on before. Come unto him, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. And follow him today, and follow him tomorrow, and follow him each and every day until you breathe your last breath on this earth. And don't turn your eyes away from him because there's nothing, there's no one who loves you and gave himself for you like Jesus. Number six, be faithful to pattern Christ. Lead by example. Set forth the pattern that Paul set for Timothy and for Titus. And do not empty the gospel of its power. Do not try to mesh with the world and look like the world in order to reach the world. I get so weary in the days and times in which we live where pastors and ministers and preachers and teachers will try to accommodate the world and water down the truth and try to water down standards and try to live and act and walk and talk just like the world. I say to you, Brother Matt, if I just pick out one of those things, ain't nobody and their brother want to see you wearing skinny jeans. You do not need to wear skinny jeans to reach people. It's not the skinny jeans. It's not the accommodating of men where they are trying to lower the standard and make people come in. This isn't the church of the seeker. This isn't the church of the sinner. This is the church of the Savior. We have one eyes that we're called to please, and it's not anyone else's but his. Be faithful to perpetuate. We see in in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, Paul is spoken of first and what God had done in his life and what he had received. Verse number 4 says, Now to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. And so you have Paul's ministry. The batons passed to Titus. And then in verse 5, he says this, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting on ordained elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And I would say to you, Brother Matt, and I, I believe that God would maybe affirm some things at times. And when God brought you you to our ministry and allowed you to be a part of the church ministry and staff here. I really felt that there was something about you, of course, obviously, in your gifting of administration that verse number five spoke of. I really felt that God had affirmed that in my heart and it's evident clearly in your life. And that is that gift of administration to set things in order. And we realize that God has definitely blessed the ministry there at First Baptist Church. We want to see you continue to do that, not just continue the great ministry and the history that that church has, but to continue to do, as he says, set things in order, raise up other elders, other pastors, other bishops, other missionaries, and continue to further reach out, not just locally, but regionally and and abroad. I think about one call that you have is to perpetuate. There will come a time when, for for me, it was a 19-year-old coming to my pastor and telling him, God's dealing in my heart, and then he trained me for the ministry. But in your situation, I'll never forget, I was at my son's, uh, my oldest son's, uh, football game. He was actually having practice and I'm sitting there in the car waiting for his practice to get over with. And I get a call, a random call in the evening from Matt Stallings. Why is Matt Stallings calling me randomly in the evening? He got off work and he made this phone call to me and I'm sitting there and I had some time, you know, promise you don't call a preacher with some things that he's about to bring up to me and not, you know, not kind of lead into some things. And so he, he called me and says, uh, you know, I just call and I just look and is there anything at the church I can do? And I thought, 
you don't get these kind of calls all the time. You know what I'm saying? We got some great folks in our church. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know. God's really dealing with my heart. He's like, I don't know what all it is. And I said, you know what? One thing led to another. Next thing you know, we're meeting on a Saturday morning ministry training class, you know, and uh, God was dealing in his heart and just was leaving him very unsettled. And so I would just say to you, whether it's a 19 year old that God's dealing with that comes in your office and knocks on that door or a 36 year old calls you when you're sitting at one of your kids' ball games or something, you have a responsibility as Paul passed to Titus and as Titus pass it on to other bishops and elders in in those cities. You have a responsibility to pass that on, to perpetuate what you've learned and been taught here at this local ministry. And I would say to you, there's no greater work in all the world than the high calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, number eight is be faithful to persevere. Finish the race. Don't quit. Don't quit. Be faithful until he comes. Be faithful until he calls you home. May desire to pursue ministry, some for good and noble reasons, others for nefarious reasons. But can I say many may be called, few are chosen. Many will start, few will finish. Many will see the grander things of ministry and attempt to enter therein, but few will ever understand the the grind, the challenge, the difficulties of ministry. No greater work in all the world than the high calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't step down to take a secular job for any amount of money, any level of prestige, any amount of ease. You've been called and listened and commissioned for such a time as this. Don't shirk the greatest responsibility that God's given you. By faith, trust God to prosper the work. You've seen God do amazing things, and I believe you have no excuse not to further advance in Ashland what has already been started. And know that the strength is not in earthen vessels, but is in the power of God. Titus had seen God work. Now it's time to carry the torch on, just as Joshua did with Moses, just as the apostles did with Jesus, just as Timothy and Titus and Luke and and John Mark and others will carry on from Paul. Brother Matt, Christ has prepared you from your salvation and start in the Florence Baptist Church to God's sovereign plan and ordaining to allow you and your family's paths to cross in Chillicothe while you're working in management for Sam's Club for this last decade here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. From you and your family's faithfulness to your involvement from greeting to helping in Awana to visitation to more service to running to the altar after I preached the Jonah sermon. God calling you into the ministry, going through the ministry training class essentially two times, mission trips, adopting Moses from Nicaragua, a full-time ministry serving faithfully in all the areas of the ministry administration outreach planning organizing accounting preaching teaching weddings funerals events door knocking from faithfully serving as a campus pastor for a few years and all the duties that accompany that you have surrendered and been faithful to the work of the ministry to have an integral part and the countless lives that have been saved baptized and continuing in discipleship to being flexible always willing to do whatever is needed transitioning into youth ministry here over these last few years to seeing uh, the great supernatural work of god to seeing the successes but also the shortcomings the masses to the mass of empty red chairs you've seen the handfuls in the hundreds you and your family have faithfully served in the trenches we commend you to this work god is now calling your family to all of this from birth to your new birth to God's hand upon you, Lisa, Maddie, Allie, and Mo. All of this has prepared you for such a time as this. Matt, Christ has brought you to this place. Now go and do what he created you and gifted you for. Bring the light of Jesus Christ to those in absolute darkness. Bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the 20,455 souls of Ashland and the 53,628 souls in Ashland County and beyond. Christ, your commander-in-chief, is counting on you and Lisa to carry it out. And if I can be brutally honest, prove your calling. Only Jesus is worth it. If you minister for money, recognition, self-esteem, the praise of men, souls, success, even the very people you love, these are insufficient, inadequate motives. Keep your eyes on Christ the prize. He alone will be enough. Preach the gospel. 
die and be forgotten. Paul spoke and showed that faithfulness to God was more important than the very breath in his body. And I just want to remind you of some of those same words that I was challenged with back in June when I preached this. And I just want to reiterate this kind of as we bring this to a conclusion here tonight. There are times when God's call, uh, will may be to release you from hardships, preserve you through hardships, or translate you to heaven. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I remind you of something. When you come to saving faith in Christ, it's a win-win-win. If he saves you from something, through something, or even translates you into heaven, you don't lose. It's always a win. Hebrews 11 reminds us that some found victory in this life. They overcame wild beasts in the hall of faith, the great heroes of the faith. But others would not be delivered, and they were tortured and suffered. Why? For their faith. They would not face deliverance from this world, but they would stand firm in the face of hardships. Why? Because they knew that God had prepared them a city, a heavenly city, a spiritual eternal kingdom. Oh, dear friend, we must never forget, we're not here for this world. We're pilgrims and strangers that are passing through, and a choice must be made. What kingdom am I living for? Now, Paul had a choice that he faced. He would choose life or death. And when he faced a choice of life or death, he chose not to compromise. You know what Paul essentially said? It is better that I die and go to heaven and be found faithful to the Lord, even through death, than I continue to breathe. He essentially said, Brother Matt, Christ is more important to me than the very breath in my body. Be ashamed or embarrassed, he would not choose that option. He stood with the apostles. He stood with Christ. He stood with the other martyrs. And Paul's admonition to Timothy is this. I have preached the gospel. I have lived out my life. I am thrown in prison. Second Timothy 4 says, I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. He said, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to be poured out before the Lord. They're going to take my life, Timothy. I will preach and I will preach and I will preach and I will not compromise. I will go through suffering. I will go through persecution. I will go through it. Why? Why? Because Christ loved me. Christ died for me and the gospel is worth it. The glory of God is worth it. And he would not recant. They beheaded Paul. They cut his head off, cut his head off for the cause of Christ. And you know what Paul said to Timothy? I'm going to preach and I'm going to preach and I'm going to preach and I'm going to preach until they kill me. And when they kill me, I want you to get in line behind me. And I want you to preach and to preach and to preach until they kill you also. Now, why did he need to give that message? Because that's exactly what was going to happen to Timothy. And for Paul to tell him something less than that would have been dishonest of Paul to do. And how much more can we in this generation who are entertained by pastors and preachers and life coaches and motivational speakers all across this countryside who are telling people what they want to hear? How in the world can we stand in the shadows and wear the same shoes and boots, if you will, that the Apostle Paul and other heroes of the faith have heralded down to the centuries, have given their lives, and all the while we don't bear the marks of Christ, we bear the marks of convenience and of complacency and of cultural relevance. We're not preaching the gospel today in the churches. We're preaching entertainment. We're salesmen. And I say to you, dear friend, it's a shame. Paul said, I'm going to preach until they kill me. Timothy, get behind me because when they kill me, you have to pick up the baton and preach until they put you to death. And failure is not an option. And the apostles, what happened to them? They were filleted. They were crucified. They were boiled in oil. They were beheaded. They were put to death. Why? Why? Because they were entertainers? Because they had books to sell? No, because they had the gospel to preach. They had sin to confront. They had souls that hung in the balance. Souls that hung suspended over the precipice of hell that needed to be spared the eternal agony of the lake of fire. And the only way they could be saved was through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the faithfulness of ones like Paul and Timothy and Titus. Paul said, I'm going to die, and then you do the same. And Timothy and Titus, I know your personality is to be timid. 
Timothy, I know you're afraid. Timothy, I know it's not in your nature to be unashamed, not your personality to be bold. But listen, I'm telling you, you cannot recant. You cannot back down. You know better. Christ is worth it, and he's the prize. I'll leave you with these two things. Number one, first, we commend you. We as a church, and I as your pastor, I guess until tonight, next week, I commend you for your faithfulness. I commend you. I commend your wife, Lisa, your uh, three children, Madison, Allie, and Mo, for your faithfulness to serve the Lord in the local church. You and your family have been stellar examples of what it means to be faithful. When people ask how we can serve the Lord and do more in ministry and become all that God desires us to become, I can point to you and your family. Follow the pattern of faithfulness established by your family. And second and finally, finally we command you. By the high calling of God upon your lives, by the full weight of the authority of the scriptures, by the full authority of the local church here at Lighthouse Baptist, we command you to continue to be faithful. Would you stand with me tonight? Thank you for your time and your attention tonight, and Brother Matt, for your dedication and faithfulness. And I just had to unload that weight that God had played on my heart here over this last week. And so thank you for bearing with me. I wanted to commend Brother Matt and his family, but I also want to command them and charge them and do so publicly. Because we have heard with our ears, we've observed with our eyes, our hearts have been touched and stirred. As we have seen and heard a man share his conviction, his beliefs, his doctrinal stance of where he's at. And we know that in the future... If he ever veers off course, he would deny the very things that he stood and affirmed tonight. We don't have any question that this man will do that. But tonight we just commend and command them to continue in the faithful steps that they have been called to. Now maybe tonight I just want to give you an opportunity as we have this invitation time. Maybe God has dealt in your heart. I don't know how you couldn't come to a service like this and somehow not be moved or stirred. Just to hear what God's done in this family's life. And maybe tonight you just want to come and pray for their family. Maybe you just want to come and say, you know what? I'm not faithful like that. I don't have the same testimony as they have. Maybe you're here tonight and God's stirred and prompted in your heart for ministry, for a greater step of service. Maybe it's your, you just want to come and pray for the church that uh, he's moving to, to, uh, to, to begin pastoring this week. Maybe you want to come and pray for the, the, the ministry that God has called he and his family to. I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to come. But if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come to be saved, to repent of your sins, to turn and trust Jesus Christ. You, you've heard the gospel all night long tonight. You must turn and repent of sin. You must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come. There'll be all the workers here who could share Christ with you. But maybe God's dealt in your heart. You want to come. Would you come? Lord, bless this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come tonight as we have a time of invitation? Would you come as we have a time just to kneel and pray? Would you come? Hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the 
We have a baptism here at this time. I'll let Brother Matt share from there.
All in favor of receiving Moses in the fellowship membership, Lighthouse Baptist Church, say amen. Uh, maybe very short-lived, but uh, uh, he's here temporarily, amen. But uh, we're so excited. Just an amazing story there. We made several trips, five or six trips to Nicaragua. And when we went to the orphanage there, we came across several different orphans that were there. And uh, while we went there, God was dealing with Matt and Lisa's heart and saw this one little boy there. His name was Luis. And uh, that was Luis. And uh, God brought him back, saved him, and now you see he's full of fire, you know. <laughs> Brother Matt's hair may turn like mine for multiple reasons here before long. This time I'm going to have the ushers come, and uh, we're just giving uh, a free will offering. Um, this is not to the church. This is to uh, Brother Matt and to uh, Sister Lisa and their family. Uh, again, free will. Uh, no one's forced to give. You give as the Lord lays on your heart. But uh, we want to be a blessing to them. Uh, when God blesses us through others, we want to in turn pass that blessing back on to them. And this is just one way as they'll be transitioning. They had uh, a home that needed to sell. They put on the market three days later, it sold. Now they're in the process of uh, landing a, a home and uh, lodging and things up in Ashland. God's working some of the temporary details there, but uh, you'd be in prayer for that and all the transition. So we just want to be a blessing to them. So let's pray for the offering. After the offering, we will have our, our closing prayer. Troy Collins, would you pray for us? leaves a big hole here at Lighthouse in Chillicothe, but uh, God has never been unfaithful not to fill it. And so we know that God has already uh, wrought and raised up labors, and he'll continue to do that. And there's just something about that. When you when you take up that hosta plant, part of that 
plant, you move it over somewhere else that it replenishes. And so we know God will do that. The neat thing about that is God's going to be able to use them there in Ashland, and then he's going to just continue that. Amen. When he started in Chillicothe, he's moved to Xenia, to Circleville, to Ashland. I've got a work down in Nicaragua we've helped to, to have a part in uh, through the work there at Xenia. They're working as missionaries on Honduras as well. So just praying that God will continue that. Amen. We don't want to see that stop. I'm going to have Brother Butch White come and he, ask him to close us in prayer. Um, and then what we're going to do is, uh, for all who can say, we would love to have you say, if you can't stay, at least grab some food. I know the folks have prepared and uh, there are sandwiches, there are snacks and all kinds of things. Make your way downstairs. And I know Brother Josh Dix said he's starving to death. He said, you better feed me, preacher. Uh, you better beat him to the line. That boy can eat. I know that. Brother can eat. So uh, make your way down and get some food. This is Pastor Butch White. He has uh, retired as the 27-year pastor of the First Baptist Church at Ashton. For those in our congregation in Circleville, I would not know that. And so, Brother Butch, if you have anything you want to share, and uh, close us in prayer.